You're listening to the Games podcast. I'm James Batchelor, editor in chief, and I am joined this week by Academy writer Marie D'Alessandri. How are you? Uh, not great, to be honest. It's been a weird week in the games industry. It's been an extremely weird week, uh, and that is the main topic of today's discussion. And uh, you've been reporting on most of this, so I'm going to be turning to you here and there for extra detail and thoughts. We are also joined by news editor Daniel Partis. How are you? Hello. I'm well, thank you. As Marie said, it's been a pretty tricky week to navigate. But on the plus side, the heat wave has kind of gone away now. So that's, that's, a, that's a positive. I feel like it's more going away. It's still a bit stuffy, but it's going away. It's on its way. I'll I'll take the less stuffy than uh, boiling to death, honestly. (laughs) And staff writer Jeffrey Rousseau, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. And um, yeah, last week was um, interesting, to say the least. It was. Without any further delay, we're going to dive into it. I'm going to give a little kind of recap of of the main headlines, which I imagine most people listening to know. I'll be honest, it got to like kind of Wednesday, Thursday, and I was quite looking forward to a weekly podcast where the main topics were Netflix attempting to get into games and hey, look, a new dead space but that is definitely not what people are or should be talking about the california department of fair employment and housing filed a lawsuit against activision blizzard for violations of the state's civil rights and equal pay laws in terms of its treatment of women this followed a two-year investigation at the end of which it described activision blizzard's frat boy culture as a breeding ground for harassment and discrimination against women. Activision denied all accusations and they criticised the DFEH for its conduct. They claimed that they had been trying to work with the DFEH, that the DFEH had been working on like false and old and distorted claims, stuff out of context. There was a lot of kind of quite feeble defences there and they have their priorities wrong in terms of what they're angry about, but we'll talk about that in a bit. On the same day, Kotaku released a report on Ubisoft Singapore with stories of a toxic culture, managers that bully their staff, sexual harassment and racial pay disparity between those local to Singapore and expats who moved there from another country. The Activision story ended up dominating discussions around the industry, partly because, honestly, at this stage, another report on a toxic Ubisoft environment was not particularly news, but also just the Activision story was just what caught most attention. It got to the stage where we saw quite a few people speaking out about it who are connected or at least were connected to the company. So over the last 24 hours, Blizzard co-founder and former president and CEO Mike Morhaim said that he was ashamed and apologised for failing women who were working at Blizzard. Former senior VP of story and franchise development Chris Metzen also apologised for the part I played in a culture that fostered harassment, inequality and indifference. Even Bungie, who previously worked with Activision when uh, Activision was the publisher for Destiny and Destiny 2, as far as I'm aware, they weren't implicated in the lawsuit at all, but they came out with a massive Twitter thread about how they have a zero tolerance policy on harassment, although they did kind of acknowledge, like, we know we don't pretend we're perfect, we don't pretend that no one has experienced harassment here. Perhaps one of the more interesting outcomes of this was that a number of gaming outlets said that they will no longer be covering Activision Blizzard games. Uh, Now, this was primarily started by The Gamer. Uh, Editor-in-chief Kirk McKeon said that we are not going to be covering their games anymore. We will cover this story. We will cover, like, you know, stories about the conduct of the business, but we will not be covering Call of Duty or Overwatch, any of the titles in the kind of the typical kind of promotional sense that ultimately games media sometimes end up becoming. That was followed by Prima Games, who used to do the um, walkthroughs. They do kind of online guides. And Game Explain, which is a YouTube channel, though, both came out and said their own variations on we are not covering these for a period of time. That is a lot to process in a, just a few minutes. And honestly, over the past few days, that has been a, a lot to process. I'm going to stipulate at this point we are recording on Monday, the 26th of July. This is an ongoing story. So by the time the episode comes out, more may have happened. 
Marie, if it's all right, I'm going to pass to you. You wrote the initial story on the lawsuit. I kind of want to gauge your reactions, your first thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's difficult for me to talk about this while being completely like factual or because this is this is emotional for me. This is emotional for many many women out there. And the thing, like the thing that pains me, the thing that hurts is that I talked to a few women and people of marginalized genders on Thursday when I wrote that that story about the lawsuits and we asked each other how we were doing and we didn't need to ask whether we could relate to this lawsuits because every single one of us had experienced some form of sexual harassment in the workplace in games and so when I see some people especially like people used to work at Activision or like at any companies targeted by allegations like this and I see them expressing surprise about this whole thing like I'm wondering where they've been <laughs> for the past few years because like I'm going to tell you who's not surprised by this every single woman in games generally <laughs> it's difficult because we've done a few podcasts and articles and a lot about these issues in the past and it's difficult not to feel like we're repeating ourselves and yet nothing is changing and I read all these statements from the former Blizzard executives this morning. I wrote that story this morning and I couldn't help but thinking that it was all very performative and they're apologizing about it. And of course, that's fine, but it's mostly fine for them and their own guilt about it. Like Mike Morhaim, he says he will now use his influence to help drive positive change and to combat misogyny, discriminations and harassment wherever he can. He was at Blizzard for 28 years. Why did he not do that while he was there? And also he doesn't actually say what he's going to do, but now he's going to do it. Like, just wait, it's going to happen now. He had this power and he still did nothing. And it's this lack of accountability that makes me really angry. Like, I hope I I make sense today while trying to speak about this, but it's very difficult because it's very emotional and I'm so, so tired of this. And like most of these execs, like past or present, they didn't actually say they witnessed any harassment because they don't want things to turn against them. I mean, Chris Metzen actually did acknowledge playing that part, like that quote you just said, James, like playing a part in that culture of harassment and blah, blah, blah. That's the closest thing we've seen to accountability in the past few days. I just saw this morning while I was preparing for, for this podcast that a former Activision Blizzard employee shared on Twitter an email they sent to Morhaim in 2018 before they left the company, but he was still president and CEO about bad behaviors at the company and what to do about them. So, you know, I have a difficult time believing that there's that much of a disconnect between the reality of working there and what the leadership team seems to be saying about what they've seen. Like, they they, they knew and, like, no one will (laughs) make me believe that they didn't. And I just don't understand why we're still having these conversations I haven't been in the journalism game as long as um, you all have. When I was a consumer and I would see these stories over the years and seeing a friend's tweet reminded me, let's be honest, like this isn't an isolated thing. It's never just one company. And and I hope I don't say anything that may sound, um, you know, insensitive, but, you know, it's a systemic issue. A little before I've gotten hired till now, there's been multiple stories about these similar kind of issues and, and that shouldn't be shocking but unfortunately it's the reality right and and I think the thing that most people especially women and you know other marginalized um, folks of different genders worry about is that why is this still happening in 2021 right when we have an example of change a good step forward we're, we're seeing more women in leadership and we're seeing like parts of the industry look like how how it should look like out in the world right then we get these stories 
it's like one step forward, then it's like 10 steps back. And it's like a cycle. On from what you just said, Jeffrey, my main thought is that whenever a story like this comes out and like you and Marie have said, it, it keeps happening and they, it keeps making its way into reports. And when it does, everybody in the industry is kind of talking about it and talking about how everyone is affected and how we can move forward and change this landscape and it becomes a huge topic of conversation for a short period of time and then eventually it kind of dies down and everybody stops talking about it and the resonance is left with the people that this stuff affects um women and marginalized communities and the, the people that feel the repercussions of this systemic behavior in games and the people that largely have the power to change it kind of seem to forget about it because it doesn't affect how they work in this industry uh, and what they're doing in this industry yeah it it just kind of feels like when it's it all kind of blows over and it's forgotten about the people that say oh we're, we're gonna do this we're we're gonna do that to kind of change this situation they're clearly not doing that because if they were doing that if everybody that's ever said we're going to change how this works actually did what they said they were going to do we wouldn't still be seeing stories like this I'm going to pick up on the notion that these stories keep happening and that this is still happening today. Obviously, the the companies would have you believe that they're not happening anymore, that this is old information, that it's it's no longer the case today. Now, that is partly due to the number of these stories that have emerged over the past years have prompted some changes. How effective those changes are uh, or have been are up to debate or are certainly up to investigation into uh, into the state of affairs today. But I'm going to refer to a piece that Brendan wrote. Um, Brendan's not with us today because he, he has the audacity to take time off. But in, the, in his latest This Week in Business column, he picked up on a trend that you really notice once someone points it out in all the uh, statements. There is always a, a reference to a time Time frame in the past that tries to distance what is making headlines today from what is actually happening behind the scenes today. So Activision Blizzard's statement about the lawsuit, uh, the picture that the DFEH paints is not the Blizzard workplace of today. Ubisoft statement in the the piece about Ubisoft Singapore. Over the course of the past year, we've made changes. And I will say that in the Kotaku report, they do note that the manager of Ubisoft Singapore actually stepped down and left the studio, I think it was November, although his own LinkedIn says February, and that someone else has been brought in. And since then, some things have improved, but other issues still remain. One of the issues that still remains is the fact that the chap who stepped down is actually still at Ubisoft HQ and still has employment at that company. But yeah, Ubisoft is always quick to say, like, yeah, over the past year, we've made lots of changes over the past year, kind of putting the, that harassment in the past. Another Ubisoft statement, like this was from June of 2020, so after the allegations first surfaced, we're dedicated to creating an inclusive and safe environment for our teams, players and communities. It is clear we have fallen short of that in the past. Brendan did a massive investigation into Twitch and their kind of culture. The quote Brendan used in this piece, it starts with, many of these allegations are years old. As Brendan points out, the fact that they're years old does not mean that they are any less relevant, that they have any less impact on the people involved, as in the you know, the, the victims, those making the allegations. Um, this is something people are dealing with on a daily basis, regardless of when the incidents occurred, regardless of what changes they claim they have made. Ideally, what needs to happen is is that we stop seeing stories like this come out. But these are systemic issues, as Jeffrey said. Like, you know, they take time to change. What we need to see is accountability and consequences. And I would say a lawsuit for discrimination and harassment is a consequence and one that we need to see more of. 
Brandon highlighted in that same piece the words that Activision Blizzard used to describe the lawsuit and not the behaviour that allegedly had been committed. And those words were disgraceful, responsible, and unaccountable, unprofessional. I dream of a day where those words will be used to talk about sexual harassment and not about the lawsuit, highlighting these behaviours. Like, it's honestly despicable. I have no words for, for Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft. I, I don't understand how talking about it in the past makes it somehow okay. Like I just urge companies to take responsibility when people speak up about these behaviours and actually have a zero tolerance policy. Fire the predators and protect the victims, not the opposite. And I can't believe I have to say this out loud. And it is not the other way around. Do not fire the victims and protect the predators. I don't know. That sounds like it should be something that people are aware of. So make sure you have a support system and a report system in place. Just take responsibility and stop pretending it's not your problem. The problem is the companies, for whatever reason, believe the predators are instrumental in making them the money. Ultimately, these are businesses. They're only concerned about the return on investment, the the turnover, the recurrent revenues, any kind of financial buzzword you want to use. They are only concerned about the money coming in. And ultimately... Whatever decisions these people are making, particularly if the you know if any of the accused are the higher ups in management, in leadership, or whatever, whichever decisions these these people are making is what is making these companies, Ubisoft and Activision Blizzard, the biggest publishers in the industry. This is not the attitude to take because I don't want to sound defeatist. We we should be able to do something about this, but until something impacts their revenue, they're not going to be as serious about this as they claim they are. It's wonderful to see some outlets saying, right, we're not going to be covering any of these games anymore because ultimately any kind of coverage of video games that is ahead of release can be viewed or can be seen as by some, by consumers, whoever, as a kind of a promotion. Not in terms of a paid promotion, but it's, it's, a, it's a way of consumers gauging whether or not they're going to buy that game. So the more coverage there is, the more options they have to kind of look into this and decide whether or not they want to cover the game, which eventually translates to dollars, transactions, translates to game sales. If players, if consumers start saying, right, I am not going to buy any Activision Blizzard games, I'm not going to buy any Ubisoft games, and I know there are those people out there, I know there are those who are boycotting these companies because of the stories that have emerged over the past years, but they're a minority, as we see in their financial results so very often, every quarter. Every quarter we get a reminder that no matter how angry we are at these companies, and justly so, no matter how angry we are at these companies, no matter how bad they are, no matter how, what they've done, they are still raking it in, and that's not changing. So until players stop buying Call of Duty rather than websites covering it, there's not going to be change. And I don't know how we awaken that audience to these issues beyond covering this in the games media, obviously, and trying to get them to care. Because ultimately, like particularly when you're talking about the bigger publishers, there's going to be a significant portion of the, the audience of those games, a significant portion of the people who are pouring money into these companies by buying their games, who aren't even reading these websites, who aren't even reading any games news. They are just buying products, not thinking about how they're made, and just cracking on with it. You have these alleged predators that because of their positions and what they've done, they're more valuable than another person because their position is lower. And that whole predatory setup within a company's environment is allowed to just stick around because you make, what, almost billions every year? When you sit down and you say that out loud, that sounds ridiculous, but that's what we're seeing year in and year out. 
and it's unfortunate and to go back to the point of how do we get the message out to folks i'm i'm a big believer of things need to quote unquote blow up i i mean blow up in the sense that it, it's more mainstream like if this hit cnn or their publications and it probably has but i mean to the point where like even my mom sees that she's like wait what then maybe maybe that might cause more stirrups like if, if really the money is the only thing that will make you change your processes and your um, accountability towards uh, sexual harassment and discrimination, then remember that actually this costs you money too. When I was like looking for resources earlier, I found this uh, study that found that on average damage of $22,500 per employee in lost productivity and employee turnover is due to sexual harassment. So actually by allowing this type of behaviours to exist in your workplace, you're losing money. Also, that shouldn't be the reason why you fight this, right? You should be fighting this because it's the right thing to do. But if really money is the thing that's worrying you, then remember that. The other side of that coin is that diversity makes money. That's something I've discussed a lot in the past on the Academy, but hiring diversity will make you more money. I mean, at the risk of being naively optimistic, there have been enough conversations about diversity and hiring diversity and improving the inclusivity in, in all companies, like of all sizes, but particularly the ones at the top, that I have to believe that this will be fixed eventually, that this will get better eventually. As, as Jeffrey said, these are systemic issues and systemic issues do not get fixed quickly. But less than a month ago, I received a PR asking me if I want to talk to people at Blizzard because they're working with Girls Who Code to do a summer program to kind of help more girls getting into programming and one-to-one -one mentors with students. And now, in hindsight, there is a somewhat a hypocrisy there. But equally, if that is a genuinely motivated initiative to try and get more people in to fix this issue that quite clearly exists then you would hope that as the girls who code, the people who enter these sort of programs, as they find their foot in the industry, as they raise up through the ranks, hopefully, we will eventually get to a point, say, and I can't, you can't put a time frame on it, but five, ten years, hopefully we will be having this conversation less and less because even if these initiatives have been starting up in a kind of a knee-jerk way, it's like, oh, hang on, lots of accusations, lots of lawsuits, we need to look like we're doing the right thing even if that's the motivation behind those things, providing those things do result in a more diverse workforce, providing the, the, these cultures are being tackled, even if it is in the kind of a self-defensive, right, we don't want to get sued again, let's let's root this out. If, if enough changes are made now or in the last couple of years, eventually I have to believe that those changes will bear fruit. I agree. We can't put a timeline because <laughs> things take a while to change. Not to sound defeatist, but what again makes this difficult is that as you read these stories and i'm just listening to folks and my peers it's that why has it taken this long that's a valid retort to this too why has it taken this long why has it gotten to this degree yes you know if you are looking at this for something positive the fact that more people are talking about it is certainly a good takeaway but I, I got to be honest, it still sucks that you read this like someone is getting sued for something that should have happened in the first place. A lot of companies maybe don't know where to go from there. It's quite lazy when you have the resources of an Activision Blizzard and a Ubisoft to pretend you don't know where to go from there. Because there are so many things that can help you fight the systemic issues that 
happen at your company. Companies need to be very clear about what constitutes sexual harassment and what doesn't. I was reading earlier an article from Vox about a report from the US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which highlighted that when acts of harassment are specifically defined, more women report instance, women and uh, people of marginalised genders. I was looking for a good resource where people could understand what sexual harassment is, because I feel like we need to start from the top, and that is one of the things that people need to be aware of. So I invite everyone to go on RAIN, two N's, R-A-I-N-N.org, which stands for Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network, which is the UK's largest intersexual violence organisations, and read their page dedicated to sexual harassment. It explains things perfectly. What is sexual harassment? So I have a code of conduct, even if there's only two people at your company. And in this code of conduct, please detail what sexual harassment is based on that article from Rain, because there's many despicable behaviours that are being accepted because, oh, but it was just banter. Or like, oh, it's not that bad. It was just a joke. No, it's not. It's not a joke. Like, enough. <laughs> like, sexual harassment is not just unwelcome or unwanted sexual advances. It takes many forms. So inform yourself, inform your employees, because not doing so is opening the door to predators pretending they did not know or saying it was just banter. So I think if you don't know what to do, if you don't know where to start, start there. Information and knowledge is already a good first step. Then obviously accountability is the next step. And then I'm going to bang that drum again, but unionize people please <laughs> unions are so powerful they're a way for workers to get their rights recognized and respected and that includes getting help fight sexual harassment cases so join unions form unions normalize unions in the games industry i will bang that drum until the day i die i swear to god like because we stronger together essentially again higher diversity and if you don't know how to do that I invite you to go on gamesindustry.biz Academy, where we have written many guides to guide you through the right steps to hire for diversity and break out from like the current recruitment mold. I'm going to include in the episode description, so on your podcasting app, if you check the episode description, I'm going to include links to Rain and the guides that uh, Marie mentioned. I'm also going to include a link to the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, which is an anonymous hotline where you can call and kind of seek support and kind of tell your story. It's just kind of a safe place and it's a support system. Um, So I'm going to include those in the episode description on the app. So whatever you're listening to your podcast in, you can check and you'll find the links there. And I will include them in the article that goes with this episode on the website. Just to echo your point about unionizing and just staying connected on an industry level and how important that is, because I feel like we're still at the point where the people that are making these roles and the people at the top that are kind of deciding what is and what isn't sexual harassment or how to counter it in an effective way aren't pulling their weight as much as they could be because it doesn't directly affect how they work and how they operate day to day. And it's really hard to craft rules around something that you maybe don't experience on a day to day or something that affects you. Uh, I think as well, it would just be nice to to get to a point because I still think we're, we're here where a lot of the things you learn in this industry about sexual harassment, about discrimination, about who is perpetuating that behavior and those attitudes, you learn more from speaking to marginalized people than you do from the guidelines of, of any company. Certain people need to remember that everyone involved in a games industry is a human being 
and they all deserve a safe workspace, respect, the nine yards that we all deserve, and no one should have to dread coming to work or dealing with what we've been reporting. No one deserves that, regardless of their respective um, backgrounds, genders, ethnicity. Earlier on, uh, Marie said that the people in charge shouldn't be making these changes and these decisions because of money. They should be doing it because it's the right thing to do. But it still feels like people aren't doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, doing it for the money and, and the repercussions financially is still doing it and making changes, I suppose. But it doesn't really hit on a global scale when you're making individual case-by-case decisions on these reports, like a grassroots level in a massive, massive company. They're very easy to still brush off or brush under the, the carpet if they're not having a direct impact on anything business-wise. That shouldn't be why people are doing it. it. They should be doing it because it's wrong to sexually harass people. And it feels like enough people aren't really thinking about that very basic thing until these stories come out. Mm. I think a lot of people in the industry, I mean, I don't know if it's a lot of people, but some people in the industry widely misunderstand and or underestimate the extent of the issue. And they think it's just something that happens at some companies. It's not. And at this point, I don't know what women and marginalized people need to say. So people in positions of power understand the reality of this systemic situation, systemic issues. What we need is for those in power and whether that is top level, C-level execs or even just kind of line managers or team leaders, anyone in any kind of position where you are above someone or you have kind of direct reports to you, stop and look at your teams and your environment. If you're in a meeting, look at the type of people in that meeting. Are the majority of the same as you? If so, there's a problem. Listen to the conversation that this is harder, obviously, at the moment because we're we're all remote working. When we're back in the office, listen to the conversations that are happening around you. Are they acceptable? Is it something that someone could take offence to? Then deal with that. Raise the issue. A lot of these things are done privately, you know, in between people. And I imagine it's even worse with remote working because everyone's all over kind of direct message channels. Those people who are receiving attention they don't want or are hearing content they don't want to hear or just anything that is is upsetting them, making them uncomfortable, making them not want to work at this company, they need to have a safe space. So what is their safe space? Look around and think, what is the safe space at your company? Do people know about it? How do you get across that there is a safe space? And if there isn't a safe space, there bloody should be. Stop, look, fix it. And don't wait for these huge reports to hit the news to assess your own situation at your own company. Be proactive in fixing that and listening to your staff and any concerns that they might have about how safe they feel at work, whether they're working remotely or in an office, and you know, see what you can do to change that, to, to fix any underlying issues that might be there instead of just staying quiet and thinking, well, it doesn't affect me, it's not my company in the news or it's not my company that's, that's suffering here. You know, be proactive in in making a change that resonates throughout the industry instead of only talking about it when it's relevant. (laughs) And I'd even say, like, when you do make a change, particularly if it's like dramatic kind of consequence kind of change, as Marie was saying earlier, identify the predators and fire them, announce they have been fired and why they have been fired. 
that's hard to do on kind of a legal basis because some people will kind of you know claim defamation of character or whatever but regardless of kind of the complicated find a way of of highlighting that you have actively directly done something not you're doing all you can or you've started some kind of program or you're doing mandatory training actual direct action highlight that you have taken the action and show how you are improving your workplace I just wanted to quickly address something that is often discussed when stories like this emerge and it's the whole but why didn't they report it question Um, and so I looked into actual cold hard facts about the reality of reporting harassment incidents in the workplace and so that same organization the US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission estimates that 75% of all workplace harassment incidents go unreported in addition, 75% of harassment victims experienced retaliation when they spoke up, and only 3 to 6% of sexual harassment cases ever make it to trial. That's just something I did want to highlight because I'm really tired of hearing people asking, but why didn't they report it? Because like there's so many like systemic issues at play here preventing people uh, marginalized people in general from reporting these things that it's just it's not easy uh, so don't blame victims essentially is where I'm going with this and the link between all these stories usually is that this was a failure at the HR level often but I just wanted to highlight that reality of what happens for people when they report incidents and the reality is that usually not much happen so <laughs> that's not great. Pair that with with people who still think that this is really surprising and new like just log on mate like it's happening all around you even if it's not being reported it's absolutely everywhere and if if you think that this is like a big surprise then I don't think that you're that connected to the industry that you work in yeah if this is surprising to you I really got to suggest you you take inventory of whom you talk to <laughs> or hang out with or just talk about things in general because this has been around for quite a while unfortunately i had written down three resources for mostly for victims that i want to mention quickly i mean most of them are for the uk sorry about that the first one is the acas which is the advisory constellation arbitration service which is a public body independent it provides advice to employers and employees on employment rights, best practices and policies and resolving workplace conflict. And they are people you can reach out to if you're having issues in the workplace, if you're being harassed. Uh, they have a helpline, you can call and they, you don't have to give any personal details at all. It's just if you need help dealing with the situation. The phone number is 0300 123 1100. I'm sure it will be in the podcast description. The other one is Citizens Advice. Go on their website. You can find contact details for your nearest Citizens Advice if you live in the UK. And the third one is just a mental health charity, Take This, which has an entire page dedicated to helplines across several countries that you can call if you are in distress or need help. All those links will be in the episode notes and the article itself. That is all we've got time for this week. We'll be back on Monday with another new show. However you're listening to this, you can find us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Uh, be sure to subscribe so you get the latest episodes. And for more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games, always head over to gamesindustry.biz. Music